It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, Channel 4 offers to sell its London HQ and move north in a bid to save itself from privatisation. Will an alternative plan win over the government? The BBC sets out a restructure of their senior commissioning team for BBC Radio and Music. Reshuffles in the newsroom as Rachel Corp is announced as ITV's new CEO, freeing Deborah Tenness to move to the BBC. And in the media quiz, we find out who's been taken to task in the media this week. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the last seven days, lots of media news. The week began with fears Netflix could lose more licensed hit shows to streaming rivals. On Tuesday, journalists around the world were recognised on Press Freedom Day and the Press Freedom Index warned of increasing polarisation. And later in the week, Facebook pulled the plug on its podcast business after just a year. Its central audio hub will shut down on June the 3rd. And finally, the New York Times reported its Wordle acquisition added 10 of millions of new users, placing the Times on track to reach 15 million paid subscribers by the end of 2027. Now onto the show. I'm here with two media experts ready to help us through all the stories shaking up the media this week. First up is audio producer and veteran observer of radio politics. It's a new type of uh, programming and I think you could do it well. Uh, Trevor Dan. Hello, Matt. How the hell are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. What have you been up to uh, lately? I've been making a series for Radio 2 and Sounds. The shows go out at three in the morning, but they're on Sounds forever. That's all about the 90s. And I'm making a show for Radio 2 about Paul McCartney. And I'm making a drama series, actually, with some money from the Audio Content Fund, which is going out on some community stations in the uh, east of England, which is all very interesting because in, in all my nearly 50 years of making radio, I've never, ever made a drama. You know, the <laughs> blind, leading the blind on this occasion. <laughs> um, that sounds quite fun. Are you directing yourself or have you got some experts in? How's it working? <laughs> No, I've resisted the title showrunner, which my (laughs) wife conferred on me. And now I've got a proper director and we've got proper writers that we've managed to hire, some of whom have worked professionally. I mean, it's a really good list of writers. And we've also got some really good actors. I mean, there's very little money in this, it being community radio. The idea, by the way, is it's eight different shows, one for each decade of the Queen's 70 years. So there's a programme about the 50s, and then the next one is the 60s, and so on, right up to the present day. Uh, and they're all about a family who are called the Easts. 
because it's set in the east of England. So that's what it is. Uh, and it, as I say, there's one 15-minute drama for each decade. And we haven't recorded them yet, but it's very good fun making them. Sounds great. Also with us, marvellous TV critic and one-third of BBC's Much Watch podcast, plus occasional abs displayer on Instagram, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's Scott Bride, Scotty GB. <laughs> Great to have you here. Can you, you show off those abs? They're, they're doing very well. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. You've been talking about Anne Robinson on Twitter and who should replace her on Countdown. It's quite the plum job, isn't it? It is quite the plum job. Like many shows like Pointless and all the others, you end up doing many records in a day. But... I think it is just a lovely set of people in a lovely institution. Um, did you read Anne Robinson's... Well, she did an interview but where she said the reason why she was leaving Countdown. But one quote that stood out to me when, when she said, well, I've got to tend to my big garden and my New York apartment. And I was like, that's so relatable. <laughs> oh, Anne. My favourite Anne Robinson quote came from her husband where when she was recording The Weakest Link in America, yeah. there was a documentary following her. And the husband sort of stayed quite silent. They finally got him to sort of say something. And he just went, I'm here to carry all the money home. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was great. Oh, diabolical. Truly diabolical. Who do you think is going to replace? I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying Colin Murray, apparently big fan and uh, has covered... Uh, in the past yeah so I mean it could work for Colin Murray because he did it for a stint I think he's also a regular on the programme many people recommending Giles Brandreth the the sort of people that you would normally see as as guest hosts on the day I guess the the difficulty is how much time would you be willing to uh, give the show because there was also a lot of hype for Richard Osman and Richard Osman Mm. did a tweet along the lines of I've literally just stood down from Pointless because it's too time-consuming. And uh, Colin Murray could take it, but he's based in London. He does Five Live, but he's, he's based primarily from the London studios. And, of course, um, it is always up in Salford for Countdown. So it, it really, I think, comes down to who wants to say yes for a lot of money, but who wants to say no to everything else they've got on at the moment. Well, Countdown, of course, on Channel 4. Some more sort of news, the ongoing news about the Channel 4 privatisation, where where C4 are still kind of trying to save themselves from it. Uh, and they kind of put forward an alternative plan, really kind of cutting down London, moving the HQ to the north. Do you think this will appease the government or have they missed their opportunity? I mean, it feels to me, looking from what Nadine Doyes has said, of course, the Culture Secretary over the last few weeks she sees it as a foregone conclusion she's made up her mind of course this is only a white paper still has to go through parliament still has to go through the house of lords it seems to me that the government are pretty set in their ways about where they see the future of channel four and channel four is not in public hands and i think if you look at the plan that channel four proposed on thursday you know they want to spend much more in the regions they essentially took the government's phrase and said that they wanted to be a levelling up broadcaster so hubs in Glasgow, Bristol, Manchester, Birmingham this is their plan to retain it in and not have it privatised and remain it public they say that they will you know, boost more money to the regions create 3,000 jobs that this would be um, you know, an idea about trying to essentially take it out of London nearly entirely they would still have a London presence but that could potentially mean the end of their Horse Ferry Road HQ which is something that the government has previously wanted. But I sort of think that unless they come to some quick agreement and they decide not to proceed with it, the government will go, well, this was an idea that you said to us before. This is what you gave to us earlier. 
So I don't think they're going to come back and say, oh, yep, sure, it sounds great. Like, for example, to show how I think how stubborn the government is on this, when they came out and they said, this is the plan, and then the week later, Netflix had those really underwhelming subscription figures. Now, it went down by 200,000, predicted to go down by 2 million. Netflix then said that they were going to be launching an advertising tier. Nadine Doris said, well, look at Netflix getting into advertising. This shows how you know big the streaming revolution is. And, and it gave it as another reason for Channel 4 to be privatised, rather than highlighting the fact that maybe we're in a big streaming bubble and these big streaming services could be sort of peaking or flattening or even going down. Yeah, I thought the only benefit seemed to be sort of a kind of embarrassing the government or providing some kind of ammunition for sort of later on in the in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem a little bit uh, too little too late. It read to me a bit like a teenager's note to his mum saying, um, <laughs> if you don't whack me, I promise that I'll tidy my room and I might wash the car and... I felt a bit sorry for the people who'd had to write it, really, because it's such an unnecessary thing that the government's doing. I can see a lot of advantage in doing more production outside of London, but it seems as though they're on that journey anyway. So um, I think it'll be forgotten as a document very soon. Scott was saying, I mean, privatisation is a foregone conclusion now, isn't it? I mean, it'd be very unlikely, other than maybe the government being deposed, which based on the council election results, uh, seems that they have survived another day. This is going to happen, isn't it? I think it is going to happen. I think it's the sort of thing that uh, the Tory government likes because it distracts us uh, from other stuff that perhaps we think they ought to be getting on with. But also, it does smack of being kind of vindictive. There's a real sense of, well, you never did us any favours, Channel 4, so, you know, we're going to make your life difficult. I've yet to hear a convincing argument that it's the right thing. But as you say, they will go ahead and do it, and it'll be fascinating to see what difference it makes. I think the big challenge is to, well, A, work out who wants Channel 4, but B, also, in what form would Channel 4 have in its identity? Because... Channel 4 is renowned for doing programmes and, and, and shows that every other broadcaster just does not really tend to do. And that, I think, is actually one of its strengths. This is the weirdness. People see Channel 4 and its programming remit as a liability. But I think in the streaming age, it pays to be more distinctive with representation in terms of the intention with the shows that you're making, in terms of the impact that you're trying to do, like... That can actually be your greatest asset, because if you end up having a fully commercialised model, fully privatised model, then actually Channel 4's identity could be stripped and then actually it could just end up being like everywhere else. Well, the devil is in the detail, isn't it? And and which of the Channel 4's kind of public licence commitments survive and which get hived off. Some celebrations on Tuesday night uh, this week. It was the Radio Academy Awards, uh, also known as the Arias. Um, Trevor, when you were looking down the winners list, did you notice any trends? I was delighted, um, as I usually am these days, to see what a diverse selection of people it is. It's not very long ago that all the winners were either the BBC or the big commercial stations. And now people are coming in from all sorts of very diverse backgrounds and and regions of the UK. I didn't go to the event. I know you did, so I can't speak about it as a show. But as a list of winners, it's a commemoration, actually, isn't it, of a kind of golden age of audio. I don't know how long this is going to last, but there's so much good stuff being made. And it's a tribute to all the people who've managed to get into what we used to call radio, now called audio, without having to go 
past the traditional gatekeeper. What stood out for you, Matt, being there? I was actually sitting next to a guy called Steve Orchard, who some of you might know was a big boss at GCAP and GWR back in the day, Um, done lots of radio things in his career. And he sort of pointed out to me, there are lots of winners who have created programming of purpose. And by that, I mean sort of documentary or concept-based shows, which I don't think you would have got sort of 10, 15 years ago, where it was a lot more kind of traditional radio and strip shows. And obviously a huge amount of that comes from podcast and streaming and kind of in the old days commercial radio can never really win against the BBC and docs categories or drama categories or things like that but the podcast explosion has has definitely allowed that to happen and I think if I was being cynical I would say that of course the new age of audio means you don't have to be popular you know back in the day when you had to get your Mm. program commissioned by a big station you had to explain that this would attract several hundred thousand listeners. Now you don't have to do that. So you can be as niche as you like. And some of the best podcasts are very niche and would never have been commissioned by a a broadcast linear radio station. And I think that's very healthy, isn't it? It's a bit like what you were saying about Channel 4. Once you seek popularity, there is an inevitable drift to the middle, to the majority And what audio is doing is it's allowing people to make shows, as you say, of purpose and programmes that are deliberately there to attract small audiences. I mean, Scott, leading up to the um, Arias, there was a statement from some audio producers about one of the nominees. This is Nolan Investigates Stonewall, which was nominated for two categories, didn't win anything. What was in this statement? What what happened? I mean, the statement was in regards to the entry that was looking at Stonewall essentially being viewed by them as being transphobic. And this was a letter that had been signed by more than 150 people working within the audio industry, although they did not make that uh, signatory public. And they had also spoken with the Radio Academy, who run the awards, and essentially they were not happy with the steps that the Radio Academy were taking. They said that it went against the Radio Academy's values and that they were unhappy about this podcast being out for two awards. I think um, this would have been a bigger story if they had actually won, but the podcast did not win. And I think Mm. that going forward... I mean, there's this you know, wider debate about impartiality and the BBC, and I think that this podcast was very much at the heart of it because, from what I understand, this podcast would not have been commissioned really centrally from the BBC from London. It was commissioned from a region, mm. and, and I think that essentially since there's this been more of an endeavour to ensure it doesn't happen again, but I think that this is very much within our society. Any coverage of... These issues are obviously going to be very, very divisive, but also at the same time, I think that many people see that there was a red line here and the BBC has stepped over it. Well, Debbie's going to prompt more of a a discussion, which is a good thing, some realisation from kind of all sides. We're going to try and talk to more people about it in future weeks as well. Thinking about um, bosses for uh, the media sector, a few kind of changes in the last couple of days. Rachel Corp has been appointed as CEO of ITN. This kind of opens the way for Deborah Tennest to move over to the BBC, which was announced quite a while ago, to be the CEO of News and Current Affairs. And um, over at the BBC, a uh, bit of reshuffling at the top. BBC Chief Content Officer Charlotte Moore is reshaping the radio team with Lorna Clark, who is head of pop, kind of 
becoming sort of music supremo and Mohit, who runs Radio 4, sort of becoming head of speech. Trevor, you were a big BBC radio boss in the day. What do you think of the BBC's announcements via music and speech? It's interesting that, in a way, this is going back to the structure that they had 20 years ago under John Burt when it was called BBC Production and BBC Broadcast. Because what they've done is separate now, finally, the commissioning staff from the in-house production staff. And about time too, some would say, because there were conflicts involved in all that. I welcome some of this. I think there are some strangenesses. The, the idea that, you know, Gemma Collins is going to be produced by music, but the Desert Island Disc will be produced by speech. But the, these kind of things usually happen. I think that what you're seeing here, though, is the continuing erosion of the BBC's notion of how important its channels are, or what we would call its radio stations. I think increasingly they're interested in BBC content, and they want it to be for sounds first and for broadcast second. And the value to them of those brands that we grew up with, like Radio 1 and Radio 4, is clearly diminishing. Whether that's the right strategy or not, I don't know. People have written off linear radio for many years, haven't they? And it does seem to still be healthy. And I think there are people who are attracted to a linear schedule and don't want to have to simply choose their own podcast and make their own radio station i hope they don't throw that baby out with this bathwater. but broadly i think I, I, I welcome it i think it introduces some clarity into the system i was reading between the lines of the statement and i think one thing stood out to me was when the press statement um, said quote developing an ambitious digital on demand for speech commissioning to cater for all audiences including those new to podcasting. So it sort of makes me think about whether there's going to be more of a plan to package existing linear-style content and making it catered for on-demand audiences. Because if you think about it, there's many shows such as Desert Island Discs that are available, there's many individual programmes. But in terms of, like, speech throughout the day on, let's say, Five Live or on Radio 4, you still have to find the normal programme, which generally tends to be unedited. So it makes me probably think of how can we take the existing linear broadcast and make it accessible to those who aren't necessarily listening live. I don't think it's like trying to massively develop new audio. I think it's thinking about how do we have the the audio that we currently do and try to utilise it a bit better. That's what I interpreted it from it anyway. I think there's a lot of truth in that, Scott. I know there have been conversations at the BBC about how can we invent a stream that is effectively Radio 4 but without the news. Oh, really? <laughs> because people would quite like yeah. that because they don't like the repetition of, you know, today and then the world at one and then PM. It all seems to be a bit too much if what you want is some drama and features and comedy and all the other stuff that Radio 4 does. Well that's pointing us in that direction isn't it you could imagine bbc speech having its own channel that's separate from bbc news i think there is the chance of, of all of those things and 
looking at it a bit more holistically is sensible. It was always sort of slightly strange that Radio 4 and 5 Live were in different corners and never really conversed. Looking at uh, ITN, Scott, uh, what do you think about the appointment of Rachel Corp? Can you tell everyone where she's come from? So she's the new ITN chief executive, but has been heavily involved, highly involved, uh, right at the top for ITV News for a while. And I think if you look at ITV News Currently, I mean, it's on a really strong streak. They've recently doubled their evening news broadcasts to an hour at a time when I think many people were expecting it to be a stepping back from linear TV. I think ITV have expanded on it because they've realised that, A, the news agenda is certainly a lot, but also that people really do love thoughtful in-depth analysis in the early evening but also in terms of scoops Paul Brand with Partygate has been a phenomenon Daniel Hewitt with all of his work looking at the state of social housing across the UK Uh, Robert Moore with the Capitol riots and being the first person in there I think if you look also at the way that they've been using social media I think they've really double down i think in some extent better than the bbc and making full packaged clips with all of their reports directly online when they think a big story is broken and i think they're very agenda setting now i think they're a lot stronger than where they were sort of four or five years ago they're in a really strong position for a long time i think citv is maybe a stepping stone before going to the bbc but you only have to look at paul brand who's sticking on now on ITV when I think he could have easily walked over to take the political job at the BBC to show how much loyalty I think staff have to staying with the organisation. Well, it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens next with ITN and ITV News, and she starts in September. I think, Scott, you've got to leave us. Where can people keep up with what you're what you're doing and writing? At ScottyGB on Twitter. Next week's Eurovision week, so I'm in Eurovision prep mode, <laughs> and I've been binging on all of the entries the latvian entry i think is something that will raise a lot of eyebrows because it's got one of the most ridiculous lyrics as an opener and i'm amazed it hasn't been banned by the organizers so <laughs> literally that excellent also look out for spain i think ukraine have a really good chance of really doing well mm. win- winning a really emotional performance that they've got for their entry but also it's that Eurovision unpredictability. Yet again, there's the hype that we're going to do well and that we're going to win. And then, of course, we get to the following week and we never speak of it again. But there is actually genuinely a lot of hope for Sam Ryder. And I think he could actually end up doing quite well. Now I've said that, I've jinxed it. <laughs> <laughs> a kiss of death. Truly. Uh, thanks, Scott. Uh, we'll see you soon. Lots more still to come in part two. And if you are after extra media podcast content, of course, the easiest way to get it is to become a Patreon supporter. Uh, Just go to patreon.com slash mediapod. Loads of extra interviews with loads of people we've had on the show. Ed Vasey, Stephen May, CNN's Michael Holmes, The Week Junior's Anna Bassi. Uh, It's all there on Patreon for our subscribers. Get the archive and support the show. Patreon.com slash slash media pod. We'll be back after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And on with the show, uh, Trevor is still with me to chat through some news in brief. Latest on the Tim Westwood case, uh, according to staff, the owner of Capital FM and LBC, this is Global, told its journalists to avoid reporting allegations of sexual misconduct against the DJ. It's understood that Global's under scrutiny after managers told staff to avoid discussing the accusations at the company, including on air. Is this a surprise, Trevor, or is this the right thing for a, a corporation to do? Well, it's up to them. They're privately owned. They can do what they like. And of course, they've got form, haven't they? I think it was 2015 when they told their journalists to stop covering a story about HSBC because they were connected with them in some way. And Ofcom did report on that and eventually found them not in breach. Mm. But it does seem odd, I think, for global news to stand by and accept a decision of this sort. You can't imagine Sky News not reporting phone hacking on the sun or the close of the news of the world. You know, Sky Mm. has always maintained its independence. And if I were one of these highly remunerated BBC journos like Emily Maitlis and Andrew Ma who've gone over to LBC, I'd be a bit worried about this. You know, would I really be able to report on something that was happening in the company that I work for. And of course, the light is shone on it by the fact that when BBC journalists have a story that reflects badly on the BBC, they go for it. (laughs) You know, absolutely hammer and tongs. They love reporting on uh, their own bosses being um, lacking in some way. But I think it's a shame because journalism is about revealing stories. This is a story that needed to be talked about. And lots of the people who were most likely to be affected by those stories that were revealed would have been listening to global stations. So I think it's a a bit weak of them, really. I also think sometimes with with these things, uh, if this was 20 years ago, you know, stopping a a story being being reported because you control the airwaves is one thing. But when something is, is out there so much, there's a danger that you kind of look out of touch by not mentioning it. And listeners themselves don't really understand, you know, who owns what and why and and all of these things. Um, I mean, it can sort of leave you sort of behind, really, can't it? I agree with that. And I think given that very few people nowadays get their news from the radio, they're going to be wondering, because they've seen this story all over social media, why on earth Global aren't covering it? And, you know, if you were a Capital Extra listener or a Capital Radio listener, it might occur to you that 
a very odd decision has been made by these people who you think of as your friends. All of which brings us on to the wondrous world of the media quiz. (laughs) No, surely not. (laughs) This week, we're finding out who's been taken to task in the media world. Now, Trev, you're playing on your own, so you've really got to win this, otherwise it's um, pretty disappointing. <laughs> Last week, Jim Watson did a, did very good on his own, so this is your challenge. <laughs> I'm going to describe three media stories where a person or organisation is in hot water this week. You just have to tell me who the story is about. Right, here we go. Number one, who's been telling off their staff for slating each other on social media? I'll give you a clue. It's a newspaper. I don't know. <laughs> it's The Guardian. Really? So following high-profile spats, including Guardian writers, the publisher has updated their social media guidelines, warning staff who engage in public slanging matches on Twitter that they could face <laughs> disciplinary action. Uh, there's been quite a lot, actually, in newspapers and Twitter recently. Are, are they right to be the schoolmaster and tell their kids to behave no, themselves? I think that's pathetic. And it's very much what the BBC has tried to do, isn't it, over decades? Social media Mm. is social. You you can't control it in the same way. (laughs) And trying to makes you look old and silly. So stop it, Guardian. Good advice there from from Trevor. Right, question number two. Who came under scrutiny this week after a scorching interview with Susanna Reid? Well, that would be the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, Yes, correct. Uh, After avoiding the show for five years, uh, the PM finally sat down on ITV's Good Morning Britain and was accused of being out of touch by the public for several things, including not knowing who Lorraine Kelly was. Do you think the Prime Minister maybe wished that he had extended his boycott of uh, GMB over five years? Because he didn't come out great from the interview, did he? Matt, he looked terrible. I mean, he, he looked as though he was searching around for another fridge to get into. Yes. Um, I mean, I think Susanna Reid did a, a, a great job. I think sometimes, obviously, in the old GMB, somewhat overshadowed by Piers Morgan, having to keep the ship steady. But she, I thought she did, mm. she did a, a great job interviewing him. Good, good questions, good research, and really led the agenda, particularly on you know, the pensioner on the bus. Absolutely. Story. She's much better than she's been allowed to be for some years, I think, Susanna Reid. Very good. And finally, which recently launched talk TV show has been struggling to attract viewers this week? Well, this would be the aforementioned Piers Moron, wouldn't it? Which, isn't it getting statistically naught? I know Tom Newton Dunn's show gets naught, which is some achievement, really, considering how much they've been promoted. I guess they'll find a niche somewhere eventually. Um, But it does show that he's, I don't think, as popular as um, people used to think he was in himself. I think he appeared on some very successful formats. I've watched a little bit of it. I think he's, he's obviously still pretty good. He's a, he's a good performer and he's, he's pretty well practised. I always think it's a bit mean to look at the first couple of weeks' ratings because they're all going to be slightly yo-yoing. But that's the challenge, isn't it? To find your, your core audience and then gradually build from there, which actually I think GB News has sort of managed. They've kind of got there with it. Whether there's much more headroom in it, it's difficult to know. But I do look at it sometimes and think... 
it's easy to look at Twitter, uh, and this is maybe where uh, The Guardian are on the right track. You look at Twitter and go, hey, there is this boisterous culture wars discussion. I mean, I think it could just be a lot of uh, you know, very few loud people and a load of bots <laughs> instead of the public at large. I'm absolutely sure that's right. I don't know whether there's enough appetite in the UK for as much news that's now as is now being thrown at them. And I, I was interested in what Scott was saying about ITN having... A, a good run at the moment and that kind of pull together mm. of this is what's been happening today does seem to be popular as it always was you know whether it's the news at 10 or the news at six but just sort of endless people talking about it i think is less appealing as the years go by actually as as we begin to be able to speak along with some of these formats. You'd, oh, yes, here comes that right-wing person. Here comes this, you know, other person to argue with them. I think it's a kind of a tired format. If, if I could just broaden this for a second, is it about time that we ask the question, why do we carry the news on pop radio at all? You know, who listening to pop radio is getting their news from the radio? I would venture to, to suggest absolutely nobody because they're getting it from social media or from an app on their phone. Why do we carry the news? I mean, do, do you have the news on Fun Kids every hour? We don't have the news on Fun Kids. Essentially, when we've talked to listeners, uh, particularly our audience, they like Fun Kids because it hasn't got the news on and they know it's going to be a safe trip but they don't have to explain or they can explain Ukraine on, on their own terms rather than being prompted by us to talk to their, their kids about it. I think there is a transition from you know, news being an important part of the sort of sense of day to the fact that people kind of schedule themselves so much now that it's definitely sort of ripe for a bit of reinvention. Um, and it'd be interesting when Deborah Tenes joins BBC to, to, to run all of that in September. As a new broom, she gets to ask those difficult questions, doesn't she? Uh, well, well done, Trevor. Two out of three. It means uh, you've won the media quiz <laughs> against no one else. As a prize, uh, you get to cover Sharon Osbourne on Talk TV, uh, we'll send the contractor uh, in the post. Uh, where can people keep up with uh, what you're doing, including uh, your new drama? Um, well, I'm at Trevor Dan on Twitter and the dramas will be going out on Cambridge 105 Radio and various other stations in uh, Platinum Jubilee Week, something I'm sure we're all looking forward to. Excellent. Well, I hope you're keeping your Twitter and your radio and your Instagram life separate. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, Matt. Cheers. And if you made it through to this part, it shows you are such a fan of the show that you should definitely become a patron of it. That's right, uh, it's the plug for Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash mediapod and make a donation to keep us running. What does it do? It funds the production, it funds people who work to get our guests uh, and to help us be able to make this every week. Very easy to sign up and you get access to loads of extra content too with all our deep dives. Patreon.com slash mediapod and would be super appreciative if you went and did that if you want to do something else and you're a media person that does interviews over the internet or needs to record audio and video we'd always recommend riverside.fm there's a free trial but if you use the code mediapod then we get a bit of a kickback it's a great studio quality app that we use to make the show so if you are recording audio or video for whatever reason we do suggest you go and have a look riverside.fm 
Uh, and of course, if you've just dropped into this episode and aren't a subscriber, uh, lots of encouragement for you to subscribe to the show or follow the show on your app of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, whatever you use. And then that way you get a brand new edition of the media podcast every Friday. My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production and I'll see you next week. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-